Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. You know, this past week, we had the meeting of the Bloke and the Bird Strategy Group, and we have decided that starting in 2017, we're going to allow mid-podcast refueling. Well, of course, <laughs> snacking is always <laughs> permitted mid-podcast. Well, how many podcasts do we have to uh, have mid-podcast uh, unfueling of our live studio audience. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Not Since nearly as good as our last live studio audience, who knew enough to sleep through it. Well, she's sleeping now. We'll see how long that lasts. Yeah. You know, we probably, I think I have a picture of our live studio audience to post up during a podcast. <laughs> um, we'll have to see if we can post that so people understand why our live studio audience occasionally interrupts us to go relieve her fuel load. Pit stop. Pit stop, yes. Pit, Pit stop. stop. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. So, like last week, there was a Grand Prix, right? Well, yeah, we find ourselves in one of those holes again between races. And, you know, one week is fine. I can handle one week. That, that's well, that's good cool. because since we record between qualifying and the race, we get yes. to talk about the race from last week, and then we can talk about what's going on, and then next week we get to talk about the qualifier again. So we're good. It's when we put three weeks between races that we start talking about our thermostat. Yeah. Well, no, we're not going to talk about the thermostat next time. Excellent. Probably talk about luggage. Carpet, remember? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> we could talk about tires. Could talk about tires, but we're not Steve Magic. Yeah, well. And we're not sponsored by Mothers. And we're not sponsored by Mothers. <laughs> well, you know, last week we did have the Grand Primo de España. Actually, I believe it's the Pirelli Grand Primo de España. Hey, do you know that Maldonado once won that race in 2012? And that we this uh, race featured the youngest ever <laughs> Formula One driver to compete in Spain. <laughs> now that we have those out of the way... <laughs> And Carmen Jordan uh, stood in the pit garage. Excellent. There you go. All three done. All Check. right. We, we have checked those all off the list. We, we, we've made the Velcro tick now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Obscure BBC reference for uh, 20, Alex. Um, you know, the results this week... Not what I think a lot of folks were expecting, especially the way Nico has started his season. Um, but he comfortably won the race by almost 18 seconds. Well, he did. However, going between qualifier and the the race, mm -hmm. so many of the pundits came out and talked about how hard it is to pass. The statistics were on his side. Um, what is it like? Something like the Eight of the last nine races have been won by the front row. Mm -hmm. um, so it was going to be a, a Lewis-Nico race to begin with. And it well, Lewis had a bad start and Nico had a great start. And it was history from the first turn. Well, you know, there were, there were a couple of things going on there. Yes, Lewis had a very bad start. Um, apparently there was a clutch issue um, that Nico had figured out, but Lewis had not. Um, so that delayed his start. But also, was it two races ago where Lewis was in pole and Nico was in second and Lewis lined up in his pit stop 
at in an his box. angle. He, or he, he uh, yeah, in, in his grid starting box at an angle. Pretty aggressively pointed toward the inside of the track. It was that, I'm coming this way, get out of my way. Apparently, Charlie Whiting has put out the word that you are not to do that. <laughs> All four wheels must remain with inside the starting box when lining up. Yeah, that 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 was a one-shot wonder for Mr. Lewis. But, uh, you know, the other big piece here was after what we'd seen in the last two races— there was a lot of thought that Ferrari was going to be up there and dishing it just like all these other races. And Ferrari did come out and say that they had changed 90% of the aerodynamic surfaces on the car. Wow, that's a lot. That being said, when they went through practice, Kimi didn't like how the car was set up and went back to the old setup. Mm-hmm. Sebastian still ended up in third, but he was... Almost 30 seconds behind Lewis. It wasn't even close. Right. Um, Gary Anderson, you know, we hear a lot about how um, this track is so hard to pass. Gary Anderson explained it on Autosport this past week as to what is exactly going on. A lot of it has to do with DRS because DRS was not effective at all in this track. And he compared it to the GP2 race, which was earlier in the day, and they couldn't use they, – they have DRS in the GP2 races. They couldn't even use it for one reason or another. But the issues related to the front wing. On the Formula 1 cars, they're very, very aerodynamically balanced. They've got all these bits and pieces on it to maximize the downforce and the aerodynamics. The problem is going into turn 9 as well as the, the other turn um, – that leads right into the DRS sections. If you're close in on the car in front of you, aerodynamics are a big deal on those turns in order to do them fast. But if you're close to the car behind, in front of you, it's disturbing the air and it lessens the impact of those wings. So it's harder to get close enough to use DRS to any effect. Ah, making so that's it harder the dirty to pass. air component. Now, by comparison, GP2, which does not have nearly the complex wings that the Formula One cars have, they weren't able to use DRS for whatever the reasons that happened during G- those races. But because those wings aren't as complex, they're not as aerodynamically dependent, it was easier to stay up close to the car in front of you and make passes. Ah. So F1 actually became a lesser passing race because they are so aerodynamically advanced. Potentially. And it depends on the track, too. Right. And that, that's one of the reasons why they do a lot of testing here is because this track is apparently known to be very aerodynamically challenging. Hmm. Um, between the winds and the location and all of those pieces, um, aerodynamics are a huge issue. And, you know, Fernando supposedly crashed because of the wind. I thought we found out that he didn't crash because of the wind, but it was actually a visor tear off that got sucked no, into in, the... No, in testing. Remember testing missed several races, races. all yeah. of that. That was Oh, I thought that McLaren that was the Pfizer tear off that was No. Oh, I thought that was the final revelation of that. So it was the race crash. Yeah. That so was the tear off. What just brought us off on this weird tangent, Fernando retired from the race uh on his second pit stop. He came in early. Mm-hmm. Um And it was a little confusing because of the audio that came through the world feed um, as to what was going on came really late because we know the FIA delays the audio. 
but Fernando came in for his second pit stop really late, and he overran his pit box, um, forcing his mechanic to dive out of the way. Yeah. Uh, it was close. Uh, that was incredible reactions and judgment from his pit man, uh, from his, or the front jack man. Uh, but what he had actually radioed in about a lap earlier was this. What had apparently happened is when he came out of his previous pit stop, they they have on their visors these tear-off strips that allows them to, to tint or, or keep it clean because they don't wipe them off. Well, he pulled off the, his tear-off strip or one of the tear-off strips, and he couldn't get it clear enough from the car. It got sucked into one of the rear brake ducts, which didn't allow the brakes to cool properly and boiled the fluid in the rear brakes. He lost braking. Yes. So he was unable to stop, which caused him to overrun the pit box, and ultimately they retired the car. They didn't even put him back, put him back out. Right. And that was just one of the – I mean, there were several – Pit incidents. Really odd pit incidents. Um, um, there were several issues with Lewis. His uh, his pit stop. Two of his three pit stops were very slow. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was also Grosjean. Um, I'm not even sure what happened there with with Grosjean, and, and he overran it. He actually hit one of his guys. Um, actually, I think, and, and he launched his front jack man. Yes. Um, it was another one of those extremely brave Jackmen who um, – some spectacular video of him flying through the air while still remaining attached to the front Jack, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but also the front right tire guy got run down. Mm. Um, no penalties on that one either. We didn't get word as to what exactly happened with that one. But Roman was having some gearbox issues in his own right. Uh, because he got radioed at one point. Okay, Roman, you need to lift when you use the bad gear. Lift when okay. you use the bad gear. Roman, if you don't do that, you will blow the engine up, right? You have to. <laughs> between Shut the, up and do your job. Between those two calls, I believe he said that he couldn't do it, but um, it was... Or it was too hard for him. I don't know. But, yeah, he was... He had risked blowing up the engine. Um... There were some interesting reliability issues, I guess. Yeah. Um, um, what was it that Cothard was talking about with the Red Bull cars? Well, this was, and we had mentioned this in the last podcast, this was, it wasn't specific just to this race. It was the start of their season, responding to a, a question from um, from Susie Perry. The reality is Red Bull hasn't had a double finish up until Barcelona. This is, I think, the first time that they've done a double finish. They're both on their fourth engine already. Um, and he pointed this one. Well, I think any fluid that could leak from that engine seems to be doing so. They've had water, they've had oil, they've had fuel, and there's been a few tears on the on the floor. So it's really been a difficult start to the season. Yeah. Um, I think he was talking about all those fluids were leaking in Barcelona. Um. He may have been, but it, it, they have been battling been, all kinds of leaks and, and all kinds of trouble. But again, this was, I think, the first race of the season that they had a double finish. Hey, now there had it's been improvement. Yeah, it is. There, there had been some talk of the possibility of uh, allowance of a fifth engine. The strategy group met this week, and we'll talk a little more about 
some of their rulings, but they did not approve the, approve fifth, the fifth engine. Not that this was really going to help Red Bull or probably McLaren for that matter. Yeah, it looks like Red Bull is probably on pace to use eight engines this uh, season. Well, that's, that's what Horner's saying. Now, let, let's keep in mind, Christian Horner, we've discovered that the bearded leader likes this year to have a flair for the overly dramatic with his comments. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I think everything he says is 100% accurate. Just dramatized a little. Oh, you think? <laughs> <laughs> but overall, though, this what there wasn't a lot going on. I mean, there was the weird stuff happening in the pits. Um, I gotta say, I give this one a real dull race. Yeah, it was dull. I I, I want to say that it wasn't, but it just kind of was. Um, Lewis, even though he ended up in second, and he he was pushing. Mm-hmm. He was trying to push. He did make this call at one point. Looks like it might be a big ask to do it, so it's probably best to consolidate the position. If you tell me it's not possible, let me know. Yeah, I don't think it would be possible with the remaining laps of this, so probably just better looking after this one. Let him have it. Is it impossible? That's the question. Yeah, so Lewis is going to respond if we pick the pace up. So I think we just need to consolidate the position. I think it will be impossible. And, you know, there's a couple of pieces there. But the the big one is that he was saying that Nico will respond if they pick up the pace. So obviously, as much as they were 30 to 40 seconds ahead, well, Nico was 40-somewhat seconds ahead of Seb in the Red Bull, there was still plenty of pace in both of those cars. Seb was in the Ferrari. Or I'm sorry, Seb, wow. Flashback. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there was They were about three years ahead of the Red Bull. (laughs) Yeah, at that point they were three years ahead. Um no, there was definitely pace in both cars, and Nico obviously because he was not, he was not being not chasing. He was being chased. You always have an advantage. He's he's flying in cleaner air. He's he's pacing better because he's not hunting someone down, and so he had more room to give. And I think the other piece of that is Hamilton is looking for that final call that says, do I push, push, push to the end because it's possible for me to win? Or do we hold steady and keep the one, two? Um, Because it's a risk. It's always a risk if you push to not bring those cars in one, two. Now, there was... Toto Wolf had come out, and, and his comments kind of surprised me because... You know, normally you do what you can. The guy and, and Mercedes has done this in the past, and Nico's gotten a bit upset over it. But normally you do what you can in, in the situation that Mercedes has found it's in to preserve the strategy and the lead of the guy in front mm-hmm. and to preserve his tires. They get the priority. They get the preference. But actually, um, Toto Wolf came out and said that they compromised Nico's race a little. Well, he how, admitted this. How did they compromise his race? Well, what he says, as Lewis was building the gap he needed ahead of Sebastian in his third stint, we actually compromised Nico a little bit by leaving him out longer than optimum before his second stop. This made sure the two cars didn't trip over each other on track while running different strategies and gave Lewis the clear air he needed to build the gap to secure P2. So the question is... Could Hamilton have held Rosberg off by staying out on his hard tires and not making that third pit stop? Um, 
Now, this would have involved running 34 laps, which is more than half the race distance on a single set of hard tires. And by comparison, the longest um, any other driver had covered was 28 laps, which, by the way, that was the Toro Rossos who did that. Mm, and they're notoriously good on tires. Yeah. And their, their times weren't at all compromised at the end of their stints. Um, the question is, you know, if Rosberg would have been able to undercut him with the fresher tires at that point. And that's a woulda, coulda, shoulda that we will we'll never know. You know, it, from a overall team perspective, it kind of makes sense. Well, they you have- know, it's it's you're doing the best to ensure you get the one two, but as we have seen in Brazil last year. Leaving one of those drivers out past their prime with their tires can send somebody flying. Lewis, that costs Lewis a win. It can, but I think that they did it with a controlled strategy. I mean, I think it's it's a great headline. Toto Wolf says that they compromised Nico's race to help Lewis. When you read the rest of the, the piece, the truth is they left him out a couple of laps longer just so that uh, Lewis could build up a better lead against Sebastian. Yeah. That's who Lewis was was fighting with. And that was that's the important part. I don't think that it's much about that they were hamstringing Nico to aid Lewis in a win. No, and the team intentionally or not, and it was not. Let, let's just put it out there. But the team was hamstringing Lewis a little. Um, Lewis had some a quick comment about that. Well, I was pushing to win. I still, you know, when I did my last stop, I was thinking I can definitely still do this. I can definitely still do this. But it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't to be. Obviously, I was the guy was too far ahead. Uh, generally, team made it pretty hard for me today. So, uh, uh, but I did everything I could, and I'm glad that I still got. Uh, you know, the one. I'm, so, I'm glad I could back Nico up uh, for the team. And I do not think I have ever heard Lewis say in an interview, the team made it hard for me. I think he was frustrated, but... Oh, he definitely was. But yeah, I I don't... He's always been a a fairly great team man. And, you know, this wasn't... You know, we pushed really hard and we did that, but he knows he had two slow pit stops because of a wheel nut issue. Mm -hmm. He knows that. And those things affect you. Well, you know, it was 2012 that several issues by the team in pit stops cost him a good fight for the title. Right. So, but the mechanics are a big deal. They are. You know, they're one of these unsung heroes of F1. I mean, besides the fact that they are out really, really close to these cars. as they And originally, it used to be that there was no speed limit in the pit lane. Mm-hmm. They came in at almost race speed, flew into these boxes, and the mechanics swarmed around them. Now they're at least down to about 60 miles or 60 kph um, to try and make things a little safer. But, you know, these are guys who may end up working 12 to 18-hour days after a driver has a shunt or blows up an engine or whatever to get the car out on track and then goes and runs the race and does the pit, and then packs everything up and all this other stuff. But there's a lot of risk that goes on there. Yeah. You know, some of the the notable incidents that have occurred in recent years. Um, 2008, 
the very first night race. This is the first race in Singapore. Um, Felipe Massa pitted. Um, this was one of these safety car pits that everybody dies in. There was still refueling then. Mm-hmm. There was an issue with the little light that tells him where to go. It turned green early with the refueling hose still attached to the car. Felipe pulled out of the pits, took out at least one mechanic by the, with the hose. He was stopped at the end of the pit lane but knocked a whole bunch of mechanics over with that. Um, they went and sprinted down there and took the hose. He went and finished the race. Um the most notable one with hoses and and refueling, 1994, the German Grand Prix. Now, this is a name you'll you'll recognize. It's a Verstappen. A Verstappen. Not Max, but Max's dad, no, Joss. No, Max wasn't born <laughs> back then. <laughs> no, I think he was, but... He would have been the youngest ever. <laughs> <laughs> um this was with uh, Benetton. Uh, Joss Verstappen came in for a routine pit stop only to suffer a catastrophic failure of the, fuel, of the refueling hose, which sprayed the car, driver, and mechanics with fuel that cr- quickly uh, ignited. Mm, um, that's as a matter of fact, beautiful footage. It, it's incredible footage, and it's actually footage that you can see in uh, – it's one of the clips that they show in the opening of BBC's uh, coverage the last two years. Um, the fire was extinguished after only a few seconds, but not before Verstappen and a handful of mechanics suffered minor burns. It later emerged that a, quote, junior member of the Benetton team had removed a filter from the hose, causing the fire. Um, Benetton had another scare in 95, and this is where American fans will recognize the name. Steve Matchett was nearly dragged down the pit lane by Johnny Herbert when the rear jack became lodged underneath the car as he accelerated out of his pit box at the Spanish Grand Prix. Um, Matchett uh, described the incident in, in his book, The Mechanic's Tale, which he wrote in 99. Um, he says, the next thing I remember was a terrifically violent lunge from the jack handles as Herbert released the full might of the 800-horsepower engine. Within the space of one second, the car was doing 40 miles an hour. Fortunately, I managed to get free, but the jack traveled the entire length of the pit lane before finally disengaging itself from the car. I felt both my arms stretch, snap, and pop back again. Nothing broken, thank God, but two sharp spears of pain like nothing I'd ever felt before. It was a relief when they finally went numb. Ouch. Yeah. Um, back to 81. And get an idea of this is before some of the, the changes have been made in, in uh, safety and, and what they do on the start. Um, they had a mechanic who was run down in at the Belgian Grand Prix at, at Zolder. Um, with just seconds before the race start, the cars, hopelessly out of sequence, were still forming up on the grid. Amid the confused scenes, the arrows of Ricardo Patrese stalled, and his chief mechanic, Dave Luckett, went to his aid just as the race started. Luckett uh, ducked behind the rear wing of Patrice's car and was avoided by half a dozen cars, but was struck by the second arrows of the unsighted Siegfried, Siegfried store, leaving him with a badly broken leg, arm, and a hand injury. The days came just two days after Osella mechanic Giovanni Amido was killed when he fell off the pit wall during practice and was struck by the Williams of Carlos Rudiman. Um, 
Michael Schumacher ran down for uh, Nigel Stepney, uh, who was, by the way, his chief mechanic. Oh, good job. Yeah. And then the black weekend of F1. This was the, the weekend that uh, there were not one but two deaths. This is the the um, the one that both Art and Senna and Roland Ratzenberger died. Um, that was also when they uh, – well, it came out of that weekend was the, the limit on the speed limit in the pit lane because there was an incident involving uh, Michelle Ar- – Alboreto, whose Minardi shed a rear wheel as he accelerated away from, after a pit stop on lap 48 with four mechanics, two from Lotus, two from Ferrari, injured in the incident. Ouch. The pit is definitely a dangerous area. Well, you've got to think that it has to be. I mean, you've got cars. I mean, we don't let small children go running around parking lots because it's dangerous. Think about that. It's, it's a lot of high-speed cars and men with Tires and tools and a helmet. I mean, that's basically what they're given. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Red Bull has knee pads. And it's a get-in-get-out situation. And, yeah. And while, the, yes, they practice it and they coordinate it, and it is a dance beyond belief in coordination, it's it's still a wonder that there aren't more incidents. I mean, just in the time that we've watched Formula One, we've watched a cameraman get hit. We've watched... Different mechanics getting hit. Yeah, we, we've seen mechanics get run down. We've seen a tire fly off Mark Webber's car and, and nail a cameraman. We've seen all kinds of stuff going on there. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. So, that brings us to changes in the future. And Wait. Okay, oh, you have? So, there's a big question. Um, and the incidents in the pit lane is just one part of it. But the question is, has F1 become too easy? No. Well, you say that. But wait. Wait. If you're going to say that because the youngest driver (laughs) ever who only had a year in single-seat racing and all that was in karting, and and that's why it's too easy? No. 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 Listen. Have you recently checked our favorite website, Has Maldonado Crashed Today? No, I haven't. So I didn't get to see if it updated to after his incident in Spain. Well, as of the writing of the article that I am currently reading, which was the 13th of May, mm-hmm. um, it had been 59 days, 4 hours, and 36 minutes since Maldonado had crashed. In fact, his last crash had been in Melbourne on March 15th. Right. Now, Maldonado, who I will remind you, once won the race in Barcelona... <laughs> Has crashed more times than your first laptop. He's not known for being a safe driver. Yeah, you know, as we record this, I don't think this is getting updated. Because it says he last crashed 63 days ago. And there was contact between him and his teammate in Barcelona that ultimately led to his retirement. I don't know. I don't know what they're calling a a quote crash. But let me explain that if you were in the world's most isolated places, I'm thinking possibly Antarctica or Greenland, and Maldonado pulled over to give you a lift, you would smile and say, no thanks, I'd rather walk. And you know that's true. (laughs) So given... Dude, speed limit. Speed limit. (laughs) Speed limit. Given that. The question really is, has F1 become too easy to drive? No. 
Now, the, you were about to talk about what the F1 strategy group has come up with as proposed changes for 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't that long ago that F1 drivers were... The pictures um, of the F1 drivers of Ayrton Senna and Nigel Mansell could hardly stand up after a race. Yeah. David Cothard recently said that it was not that long ago that F1 was physically and mentally exhausting, and that is no longer the case. Now, for any normal human being, the cars would still be impossibly tough to drive. But F1 drivers are finely honed athletes of highest caliber, and their current cars simply don't stretch them. Still Cothard. Uh, it's not that Ayrton Senna and Nigel Mansell weren't in good shape. It's that the cars were simply very tough to drive and were challenged the whole way through the race. Question is that with the sensitivity of the tires and carrying a full fuel load at the beginning of the race um, causes the cars to be more sluggish. Artificial aids such as DRS and slowing things down for safety reasons seems to take some of the challenge out of driving a car, an F1 car. Now, Jonathan Neal, McLaren's chief racing operation, operations officer, personally, I think it would be foolish to mess around with the immense amount of good work that has been done with these power units. Patty Lowe of Mercedes says, I don't think we need to run around thinking to do things, to do drastic things. I think we should leave it alone. But the question still remains, has F1 gotten to the point that it is so safe that it's too easy to drive and perhaps we should look at pastor maldonado in a fresh and better light to appreciate the enthusiastic contribution he makes to the sports entertainment well anyone who wants to turn around and say well maybe we've slowed things down too much for safety and and it's too easy to drive and whatever all you need to do is look at last year's japanese grand prix Okay. What came out of that? We have a driver that is that is in the hospital, is in a coma. The prognosis for recovery is not good. It's not too easy. No, I think it's more of that these drivers are not as exhausted at the end of the race as they're earlier f1 counterparts are and is that not a function of improved car bits i mean think about it It, when the car was originally invented uh, top gear did a thing on this wait wait let me finish when the car was originally invented it took two hands two feet and possibly other body parts to try to drive It was impossibly difficult to get all the parts in the right spots and get it to drive. And even going from horse travel, horse and buggy travel to car travel was still exhausting. And in this day and age, we get in our car and we go three, four hundred miles in a given day and don't think twice about it. But Formula One isn't an endurance series. Why why do drivers have to be wiped out and barely able to walk in a series that's not an endurance series? No, that's a good it point. It is a sprint race. That's why there's currently no 
refueling. And when there is refueling it so that they can run with as little fuel as possible to go as fast as possible for sprints, not an endurance race. WEC is an endurance race, and that's why those races are six-plus hours. So I'm not sure I agree with that argument. Um, now, when it comes – there's been a lot of talk about change, and, and things need to be different, and – all of that. Now, Rob Smedley came out this past week, and, and you mentioned a couple of folks who have come out and said that, well, yeah, we're not really sure that we need to make changes and everything should be the same. Rob Smedley came out and, and made some interesting comments in the lead-up this week. Uh, actually, he did it while he was in Barcelona. And, and those who don't remember, Rob Smedley is the head of performance engineering over at Williams, so he kind of knows what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, what he says is that in the main – we should perhaps think about stopping tampering with it rather than thinking we're going to create a new set of rules and that's going to fix everything. Every time you create a new set of rules, you'll usually find the people with the biggest resource or with the cleverest thinking, where the people who stop working on the current generation of Formula One cars come out with quite a big gap. That's what, when we talk about these boring races, that's what we're referring to, isn't it? A team dominating at the front. But a team dominates when we have radical rule changes. I think what we need to do, I think that we do have to seriously think about not changing everything or not changing anything. And there is some history to go along with that. The, the thought of when the sport goes for a stretch without making changes, that performance of the various teams starts to converge. Now, there are some outliers, but. 2012 was a good season to look at where uh, the performance of the various teams, it was very close. And it was looking like it could be a McLaren, Red Bull, Ferrari race for the championship at one point. Um, 2013, maybe not so much. Really? But still, there... If you le- you give everybody a chance to develop and work with the current formula without making these drastic changes that you've got to re-engineer, it reduces costs because all these major changes increase cost, and things do start to level out. Right. I mean, that's important to level out the costs um, and to make changes. But anyway, Strategy Group met this week. Yes, they did. Now – just to review who the strategy group is, it consists of Bernie, of the Bad Hair Bernies. Yes. It consists of... Jean Todd. Jean Todd, president of the FIA. Mm-hmm. It consists of Ferrari, McLaren, Red Bull, Force India... Mercedes. And Mercedes. And also... There's also seats at the table for some of the engine manufacturers. So Mercedes may have two seats at that table. I believe they get common, but they don't. It's not a voting seat. It may be. Um, this was considered to be a very big meeting um, because there's been a lot of talk that they need to do some changes. They want to do some stuff. Um, there were rumors that because of the way this is structured. Um, Bernie can get voted down. Bernie gets six votes. You've got the six teams, and then the FIA gets six votes. Um, 
there were rumors that for the first time ever, Jean Todd was willing to vote in a block with Bernie to get changes to happen. Also, the head of CVC Capital, who I guess normally does not attend these meetings, was there as well to observe the proceedings. But they did make some significant votes to actually do some potentially drastic changes. I think they are potentially drastic changes. Um, one of the top drastic changes that has made every headline in the world, so let's start there, mm-hmm. is the possibility of bringing back refueling in 2017. Now, this is – this, I think, is the one that, while it, it's the most dramatic, it's also possible we may not see it. Right. Do keep in mind that every one of the suggestions from this particular meeting still has to go through two more votes before it becomes a new rule. Well, there's that, and the refueling in particular, um, Total Wolf has come out and said that it's actually going to be studied before implementation. Uh, there were two reasons why they initially – well, three reasons why they initially dropped refueling. One, obviously, was the concerns about safety, which we, we've hit on already. Um, the other was the amount of time it took to do the refueling. There were concerns that the pit stops were too long. Yeah. From the refueling. In fact, Toto Wolf came out and said that this would not happen unless they can figure out how to make a refueling stop not increase the current pit stop length of two to three seconds. Which I, I can't see that happening. Not not to get a meaningful amount of fuel into a car in two seconds. I have no idea how that would that, work. That, that I think is kind of nuts right there. Um, but the other issue was cost because keep in mind co- it, it was very expensive to do this. And they now need to develop all new fueling rigs. They would need to rejigger the pit lanes to accommodate the fueling and the, the various safety needs because it's not going to be a matter of the guy running out with the gas can. They, they've since learned that that's really bad. <laughs> um, NASCAR taught them that one, that, yeah. that running out with the fuel can is really bad. Um, so they've got to come up with a way to do this safely in a cost-effective manner. Right. So I don't know if we're going to see refueling. There's potential that that could be interesting, especially when you combine that with the other big decision that was made, and that was regarding the tires. And we did take Bob Fernley to task, and I still think that based on the information that we had last week, this was a very foolish idea. Gotten a little more info, though. Okay. So the Rob Smedley idea was for free choice in tires at every race so that the teams could decide what two sets of tires they wanted to run at any given race. Now, the one thing that we did not know, but they have come out and they have said, is that it's not full free reign, run whatever, you know, run what you brung. There are going to be limits. Teams will not be able to use, say, the super soft tire at Monza because it's such a high-speed track, and those tires they know cannot handle it. Mm. So there will be restrictions that even though, yeah, you might be able to get a blistering lap out of one pair of super softs, you're not going to get to run. So there are going to be some restrictions. It's not a full whatever whatever you want. We're, We're tossing those rules out the window. Right. Well, that's good to know. I did read something about that there would be a provision that Pirelli could overrule a team based on what information they had on a tire. Yeah. Now, to go along with uh, the refueling, they are looking to go to higher revving engines. Mm -hmm. Now, this would mean a uh, six-speed gearbox 
which is designed to increase the revs and in turn increase the speed, hitting the targets of laps designed to be five to six seconds quicker. Now, along with that, the uh, six-speed uh, gearbox would be lighter, and again, that goes back to they want to have faster cars. Now, the big push that they're looking to have faster cars is to make them lighter. Mm. Not really sure how they're going to make them lighter. They're targeting, it sounds like, uh, the gearbox and the electronics because there was nothing there to allow lightweight materials to lessen that weight. Well, the other thing is that they're not changing the fuel rate um, of 100 grams an hour. Yeah. Um, that is not to change at all. So they're still going to work within that regulation. They are changing some issues around the start. They're not going to allow, they don't want to allow the pre-programmed starts and make the drivers actually use the hand clutches. Yeah, that could be interesting. At least, you know, we shouldn't see the issues that Mark Weber used to have. Well, we shouldn't see that, but I think we'll see more anti-stall come into to play mm-hmm. as they don't get it right. Yeah. Um, and I think that we will see more disparity in good starts and bad starts. Um, also supposed to be increased noise. Right. That's Apparently, Literally. everybody thinks that that's the solution to all of F1's problems is the noise. Um, along with that, they're looking to have more aggressive looks. You know, we had talked a couple of weeks ago. Actually, it may have been a couple of months ago. Uh, they're going to increase the rear tire width. Mm-hmm. That is going to happen. Uh, it's going to go from 360 millimeters to 420 millimeters, which increases grip and will aid in the increase in speed. Uh, but also, they're going to go to uh, an increased two meters uh, width of the car, or they're going to w- increase the width two meters with wider front and rear wings and double end plates. Oh. Now, what did not get approved? Not going to add an engine this year, and they did not approve changing the engine formula, which I think was a good idea. Well, that's Don't good. change it. Um, again, changing that architecture, that would have drastically increased the costs, and I'm guessing would have been just a further deterrent for a, a, another engine manufacturer to come in. Yeah, I think that that's what we don't want to see happen. So I've also got some interesting, you know, they didn't talk about revenue changes. Right. As much as there's been some yelling and some screaming, they got a little more information about how the payments worked last year. Okay. Um, so you have Ferrari who technically, based on their finish last year, of approximately $66 million, just based on their overall performance of fourth place after just two podium finishes. That's also the same amount of money that Lotus, Force India, and Sauber qualified for on an equal results basis. But under the deal that Ferrari has... They actually got one hundred and sixty-four million dollars. That's a hundred million dollars more than what they qualified for. Mm-hmm. Wow! Because of the the this various screwy financial agreement, which by the way started at five percent increase, it's now up to something like fifty percent. Oh my word! Um, by the same token, Williams, despite being one of the privileged five teams that draw out um, extra money. They got $83 million for third place, effectively half Ferrari's payout, despite beating them hands down. 
Put differently, were the full amount paid to the teams, which last year was estimated to be about $883 million, spread equally amongst the 10 participants, Williams would have received a greater share, $88 million, than it does now for third place. Oh, my word. There are other anomalies, too. McLaren receives $98 million for fifth place, which is $15 million more than Williams in third and nearly $40 million more than Force India in sixth. Expressed on a per-point basis, Ferrari received $760,000 per point scored in 2014. McLaren, $540,000. Red Bull, $385,000. Williams, $260,000. And Force India, $388,000. Any wonder why Ferrari and McLaren actively campaign against cost-cutting while all the other teams battle with bills? Yeah, that's that's the disparity is so wrong because... It it shouldn't matter who your name is to get the money. It should be about where you fall in the mm-hmm. the race. And apparently, there was equity with the prize disbursement up until the Bernie took over and the Formula One management group came into place. Mm. Now, my understanding also is in Part of uh, this arrangement before Bernie took over was that the teams negotiated their payments with the circuits. So they took that away and made that a centralized negotiation as the Formula One uh, owners group or whatever it was called back then. I don't remember the exact name. They negotiated for all the teams at the circuits. That part made sense. But in order to make that deal happen, Bernie negotiated a separate deal with Ferrari to give them more money and give them, oh, by the way, veto power on the rules. Mm-hmm. I believe they've lost that, that veto power at least. But the percentage that Ferrari gets has gone up over the years. It's, I'm, I'm sorry. It's just wrong. So next week we have Monaco. Yes. Honestly – as much as a lot of people complain that it is very profes- processional and there's not a lot of pa- – which I don't get the not a lot of passing, but there's not a lot of passing and all of this stuff. It's one of my favorite races of the year. Well, it's a technically fabulous race to watch because they've got to put those cars in exactly the right spots because the streets are narrow. The track is narrow. Um, even if you don't ever pass anybody – you still got to drive the track perfectly. Well, yeah, but how many times have we seen these incredible passes under braking at the, I'm going to call it the, the hotel hairpin only because it changes. I think it, it's been, it depends on the name of the hotel. It's been Lowe's recently. I think next year there's talk that it's going to be the, budget in and the year after that. <laughs> I think Econo Lodge is lined up one year. <laughs> it's at the hairpin. But but, but it, at that one or last year where Marusha got their one and only point seeing Jules Bianchi barge his way through uh uh Roscos where nobody passes ever. I know. Well that was the greatest thing was listening to the commentators goes, Nobody passes there. Who passes there? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if we'll see more people pa- try to pass there after it was proven that Jules could do it successfully. Well, he did have to kind of bang his way through that. That was not a contact-free pass. He bullied his way through there. Um, but one of the other things that's going to be happening this weekend is that 
the Formula One Drivers Association has decided that through their drivers, they're going to launch a fan survey to find out what the fans want. Because, you know, all these changes are coming. Nobody's ever actually asked the fans as to what we want. Um, the way it's supposed to happen is the various drivers are supposed to do it through their social media outlets. I don't know exactly what the survey is supposed to look like, but this is going to be a driver-driven fan survey. Okay. So keep an eye on that. Uh, through Watch your various, all their Twitter feeds. Yeah, through your various drivers' social outlets there um, next weekend. Are we ready for the gossip column of the bloke and the bird? I don't know if I would call it gossip. I mean, we know this has actually happened. Page six. I don't know. Page six. (laughs) So it looks like the bearded leader of Red Bull tied the knot with very recent girlfriend, Jerry Hollowell. Which, by the way. Ginger Spice. I thought he was married. This was news oh, to me. Okay, I, but wait a minute. Oh, there is there is gossip. Oh, there is actual gossip on this. Oh okay. yes. So, I was catching up on the last little bits of it at one point. Okay. So, I, I I beg forgiveness for that. Anyway, on Friday in Woburn, Bedfordshire, not mm-hmm. far from the Red Bull headquarters in Woking, mm-hmm. um, at St Mary's Parish Church. Jerry and Christian tied the knot in front of friends and his brothers. Well, also, um, do you know who, who her bridesmaid was? Uh, it was Baby Spice. No, it was her daughter, Lou Bell. Oh, yes. Well, there was Blue Bell there. Um, her <laughs> daughter is nine years old um, and from about seven or eight boyfriends ago. She's got a very <laughs> troubled um love life history um they met in 2009 they've only been dating for about a year and got engaged in november of last year okay now here's where the gossip comes in there was a little one line thing in one of the articles i was reading to look at all the pretty pictures now she was married in a very conservative couture dress um, it was made a, a big deal about the fact that it was a very conservative dress and Christian wore <laughs> wedding tails. Okay. Um, in attendance at the wedding was Kimmy Raikkonen, Daniel, Daniel Ricardo, Sir Jackie Stewart, Sir Jackie Stewart, not in any Scottish fair. He wore tails, David Cothard in a kilt. I'm kind of surprised that Kimmy was there. I didn't know that Kimmy and Christian had a relationship. I mean, I, I, could see the drivers being there. Um, we didn't see that uh, Sebastian Vettel was there. And I would have thought that Seb would have been there because we do know that they had a very good relationship. They got along very well. I, I, and I think that the list of people that I saw that were on that in the article I read is probably very incomplete. Mm. But they had pictures to go along with the people they announced. So Jack, Sir Jackie Stewart with his wife Helen was there. She wore a shocking pink dress. Baby Spice was the only one of the Spice Girls, Emma somebody, um, was the only one of the Spice Girls in attendance. But one of the notes that it said was that Christian's parents, who he has been notoriously close with, kept their promise to not attend the wedding. So I started digging, as one does. and Especially fa- with comments like that. Yes. Well, apparently, Christian had been with his longtime partner for 14 years, Beverly. 
who is who we thought was his wife, but mm-hmm. it was a partner, and um, was pregnant with their daughter, Olivia, when he dumped her unceremoniously for this relationship with Jerry. Uh-huh. To say his parent, the, the article went on to say that it, to say his parents were devastated was an understatement. Apparently, huh. they do not approve of his choice. I believe his brothers, who he is also close to, attended, but it was probably not a good situation. Hmm. Interesting. Yes. Maybe his parents are out looking for the rest of the missing Red Bull trophies. Possibly. <laughs> Possibly. Um, yeah, Beverly Allen was his partner for 14 years. Um, and he left her to be with uh, Ginger Spice. And his parents were left devastated. Very interesting. So with that, I'm not sure if... She- well, I guess w- we should offer congratulations, despite the um, unusual nature of said wedding. I know. I know. I, th- I thought it was important to throw out all the details that I could find. Um, I will say this. The Daily Mail has some great pictures of some incredible fashion. Of course they do. And, and not it's nearly. The Daily Mail, though. Not nearly the outfits at the Met Gala. Um, much more tamed down and conservative as a daytime British wedding should be. But for us Americans who don't have great connections to the hats and fascinators that women wear in churches in Mm -hmm. England, um, I strongly suggest that you take a look at some of the headgear um, because it is fascinating. Um, I will never forget that time we were on a trip talking to... uh, the father and daughter from England. Mm-hmm. We were talking about weddings and she was talking about the fascinators and the hats they wear at church. And she, and I said something about, well, American women don't wear hats. And she looked at me and she goes, well, what do you wear on your head at a wedding? And I'm like, my hair. <laughs> and she, she was just dumbfounded that we would go bareheaded into a church on, on a, at, during a wedding. It seemed implausible to her. So I strongly suggest that you see this. I think, um, it's Emma um, Button. Buttons. Uh, Bunton. Button. Bunton. Is, hers is particularly fascinating. Kind of reminds me of uh, one of Prince Andrew's daughters at uh, Prince William's wedding. Okay, sure. And then there's a comedian that looks like a flower got smacked on her head. Nikki, <laughs> Nikki Lauda attended the wedding wearing <laughs> a beautiful black tux and his signature red Ball cap. He was wearing a ball cap. Hold, please, while I share the picture. Yeah, he was wearing (laughs) this year's ball cap. (laughs) Yeah. Because it does change every year. Yes. All righty. Novomatic ball cap this year. I wonder if they pay, like, sponsor fee. I can only imagine. Anyway. There's Jackie, Sir Jackie Stewart. Yes, I, I, I've seen that picture. And again, remember, this is an audio podcast. So you showing me these pictures does nothing for anybody. Now, if you wanted, you could actually go and post a link to the story over on the Facebook page so that people could go and take a look there. And see I, I will be this. doing that later today. Okay. 
But uh, you know what? On that, I think this is a good point to wrap it up. So the bloke and the bird wedding fashion column has now closed? If you want to go and, and add more to it on the Facebook page, you go for it. Which, by the way, you can find the Facebook page. Uh, just you know, do a quick search for The Bloke and the Bird Show. We come up there all the time. Nice and easy. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, find us on the web at www.theblokeandabird.com. And uh, I'm still waiting on reviews over in iTunes and Spotify. So come on, people. Get with it. I know you're out there. Make it happen. <laughs> But other than that, until next week and Monaco and the one race, one of the few races that we watch live. Will we change our recording structure to record post-race next week? I don't know yet. Well, stay tuned and find out. (laughs) On that, we'll call it a show.